3: So crazy at times. It sounds like you yell back at your radio. What are you talking about? What What the
4: hell? He gets so angry. You tweet to try and calm him down. Now he gets an hour all to himself. It's Sparky's midday madness on the fan with Steve Sparky Pfeiffer, presented by the Milwaukee Admirals. Visit them at milwaukeeadmirals.com.
5: It is Sparky's Midday Madness. No Steve Sparky fight for today. Toby Altizer in for him alongside the one of many, Adam Roberts, A.R. Talking about the Milwaukee Brewers, Tim Dillard will join us coming up in about 15 minutes. Get his thoughts on the Milwaukee Brewers as they are about to open a series against the Pirates. They split with the Cardinals over the weekend, so we'll get some of his thoughts on that. I want to start with them. Also want to hear from Ryan McDonough of the interview we did with him on the big show a little bit earlier, talking about the NBA playoffs. We'll play that towards the bottom of the hour. But until then, I want to talk a little bit about the Brewers. Here's where I'm at with this Brewers offense. And I want to get your guys' thought on the Brewers' offense. We talked a little bit about it on the big show. You mad they didn't spend a little more money. But here's where I'm at with this Brewers' offense, and you can join in at 414-799-1250 if you want to hop in on the conversation. I went to the game on Friday night. Freddie Peralta on the mound. It's Jackie Robinson Day. I'm excited. I cannot wait to watch Brewers baseball for the first time this year. And for whatever reason... Thursday is the home opener. Friday is the second home game. Did it not seem like an eternity between those two days in terms of Brewers baseball?
4: I don't know. Maybe it was the slightly early 4 pitch time that but kind of made always, it feel like an they, afternoon game.
5: But they always do an early game for a home opener. I guess so. It just felt like an eternity between the two. Maybe it's because of how much we talked about it on Friday. But I go over to the stadium. I said, you know what? I'll I'll get tickets. I uh, sitting in right field, uh, sat down and enjoyed the game, checking out all the different things going on in American Family Field, seeing uh, new concessions and all the different things. So I'm excited. I sit down, and Freddie struggles. He got the first two outs in the first inning, and then after that, it was a struggle for him. Gives up six runs in the first two innings. And I was telling Gary this as he was leaving the studio to head over to Spectrum News 1. 6-0 after two innings. I didn't know exactly where I was with this Brewer's offense until that. Because when they were down 6-0, I thought, it's only the second inning, but I gotta really head to the car right now and head home. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) this game's over with. I'm not worried about this offense, but I, I, I just think when... I look at this team, they're not built to come back from games like that. You know, I think the 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 analogy I made is you have a good defensive football team that likes to run the ball. All right, so you, you can't keep up with some of these high-powered offenses, but you just got to keep the score low, and you got a chance late. I think that's how this Brewers team's going to be. You know, I think when you look up and down the lineup, they've got solid guys. But are they going to put up 8, nine, ten runs in a game? I don't know. I was watching a little bit of the Blue Jays the other day. It was, I believe, the 7th inning. They're down by 3 runs. And on back-to-back swings, it's a tie ball game. Home run, a 2-run shot. Next guy, home run, solo shot. 3 runs made up like that. I don't think that's happening for the Brewers this year. Now, there's going to be some games where they explode. You know, everything's clicking and Maybe it's one of these games against the Pirates. But I don't think this team is going to score tons of runs. But I also don't know that they're going to be a bad offensive team. You know, I know early on this season, it's been a bit of a struggle for them to get runs across. But I don't know that I would see them being a bad offensive team. I just don't see them exploding offensively.
4: I'll tell you this, Toby. And I remember when I was talking with Sparky, it might have been this show, might have been the big show. I don't really remember. But I, when we were doing our win predictions for the season, uh, one of the things I remember saying was I didn't know how big of a deal this Andrew McCutcheon signing was going to ultimately be. And so far, again, small sample size, he's been doing pretty good in that designated hitter spot. I knew that was probably going to be the role for him as soon as he was signed, given the new rule changes. It seems to have worked out well for him. I thought his age was going to be a bit of a hamperance, if that's even a word, for the uh, for the offense, but he's been doing okay. Rowdy Telez, like you mentioned during the big show, doing just fine to start yep. the season so far. The big name that everyone's going to use as the ultimate barometer, I think, of how this offense is doing, for better or worse, is Mr. Yelich. Mm-hmm. If he's struggling, which he has certainly been to start the year, the overarching feeling, I think, is going to be, yes, but. Andrew McCutcheon's been doing great as a DH, yes, but. Rowdy Telez is batting great. His power is still clearly there. Yes, but
5: yeah, and I think that's going to be the struggle for the Brewers: is can you get a guy that can take you over the top offensively? Again, like I'm saying, I'm at the game on Friday, six to nothing in the first two innings, and there's not a whole lot of teams when it's six to nothing after the first two innings that you feel like you got a chance. But six to nothing, and I just felt like I might as well go back to the car and head home. Second inning. You know, pay, to, pay for tickets and, you know, hopefully fans that were out there, that wasn't like their only game they're going to this season. Maybe you can get out to another one where the crew plays a little bit better. But that's just how I feel. How do you feel about this offense? 414 799 1250. Or you can tweet us at 1250 a.m. The fan. I, I'm a little bit worried about what some of the pitchers did. I'm a little worried about Freddie Peralta. I don't think there's huge need for concern yet, but this was one of my concerns when I talked with Tim Allen uh, before the season. You've had enough sample size of Brandon Woodruff to know what you're going to get out of Woody, right? You've had enough sample size I think at this point out of Corbin Burns to know what you're going to get out of Corbin Burns. I think you can probably say the same thing about Adrian Hauser at this point too. I think he's a solid number three on most staffs, a solid number four for the Brewers. Lauer, I think the the jury's still out a little bit on him. But with Freddie, I don't know that you have enough to know what you're going to get out of Freddie Peralta. Because think about this. Last year, so I started working here in May last year, Adam, and I was updating the website, and the article I saw for the Brewers was, should Freddie Peralta be a bullpen pitcher? or a starter. That was last year. Now he had an incredible season, so you know there was no question about that going into this season, but when you look at it, I don't know that I have as much faith that Freddy Peralta is going to be able to replicate exactly what he did last season. I think he's still going to be good. I think he'll be fine, but I'm a little bit worried about Freddy Peralta at this point. I I think... He can get back on track you know, next start and be fine. But when your command is missing and he generally is already a guy that's a little bit erratic, just a little bit of worry. Is there any worry for you from either Devin Williams struggling or Freddie Peralta?
4: You kind of hit it with Devin Williams. I was listening to the game yesterday. I could not go. I kind of wanted to, but I figured Easter probably wasn't going to be able to get away uh, from my cooking duties for Easter Sunday. Oh, what would you cook? Uh, A very interesting dish. We did a lamb korma, an Indian food dish okay. with mint garnish. Mm. I make my own. Um, I almost wanted to call it pita because it kind of looks like pita, but it's naan, with a little bit of butter garlic sauce. And okay. I'm getting way away from what I was originally talking about. <laughs> You'll, I think you're going to find working with me, Toby. One of the things I fear most about being in radio and doing a job like you did today, hosting the big show. Like if I ever get that call, sure, I'm going to start the first hour with like what are your takeaways from the Bucks' first game against the Bulls? And 20 minutes later, I'm going to be talking about this type of flower I found while out hiking (laughs) in the woods two years ago. So
5: you're the king of rabbit trails, is what you're saying?
4: Rabbit holes. Rabbit holes, okay. Yes, and yes, falling down those rabbit holes, wondering then at 1220, how the hell did I get to talking about wildflowers? We started talking about (laughs) the Bucks and the Bulls. But bringing it back around to your original question, yeah, I was listening to the game yesterday and – crossing my fingers the whole time that Devin was going to pull another thing like he did in his first outing of the year where Mm -hmm. he had the bases loaded and somehow was able to work his way out of it but knowing that that's just not the way it usually works with not just him but any pitcher in Major League Baseball you have nobody out runners at every single base more often than not unless apparently you're the Brewers something's gonna give for that offense and someone's gonna score
5: yeah and with Devin I don't think any of these pitchers Early on, I don't know how much panic I want to put out there. There going to be a little bit of concern, but it is still early for a lot of these pitchers, and they also had a little bit of a shortened spring training. So some of these usual outings that they would have been doing in spring training are coming in the regular season now at this point. Now, it just concerns me because Devin Williams struggled out of the gates last year. He's struggling out of the gates this year. Is that going to be something that continues? Hopefully not. Hopefully he can get back on track, and last year he— dominated once he got back on track so hopefully it's the same thing again this season all right we're going to talk with Tim Dillard coming up next Tim Dillard from Bally Sports Wisconsin former Brewers pitcher actually walked by him at the stadium he's a lot taller than I would have expected but we'll talk with him next here coming up on Sparky's Midday Madness on 1250 a.m the fan it is Sparky's Midday Madness on 1250 a.m the fan Toby Altizer in for Steve Sparky Pfeiffer today we're live from the Lakeland University studios offering evening and online master's programs. Learn more at lakeland.edu slash get started. It's time to get out to the Great Midwest Bank hotline and talk to former Brewers pitcher and Valley Sports Wisconsin analyst Tim Dillard. Tim, how you doing today?
1: I'm good, Toby. How are you, man?
5: Not too bad. I got out to the ballpark, ran into you. I didn't say hi or anything, but I walked past you on Friday at the ballpark. You're a lot taller than I expected to see.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I get that sometimes. I think it's just because I slouch so bad. You know, it's just posture issues.
5: (laughs) So this Brewers offense, I think a lot of people are a little bit concerned about the Brewers offense and how they've struggled sometimes in these games. Any concern for you from some of these hitters?
1: Yeah, we talked about on the show uh last night just a little bit about like you know, what what are we doing as far as like a team, what's it look like? When do you push the panic button? And you know, back in the day everybody would take a bat and light it on fire and then bury it in the ground to kinda get the bats awakened, you know, or something like that, or somebody grabs all the bats and throws them on the field or the whole team decides on one bat to use to kind of kick start that offense. But this team's not there yet. They're actually swinging the bat pretty well. There's a lot of guys on the team that have been pretty consistent all year. Hunter Renfro has a five-game hitting streak right now. McCutcheon has the most hits on the team. He's playing in every game. I, they, they have great approaches. I just don't think they've hit their stride. It's I mean, we're what, 10 games in? I guess I should know that.
5: <laughs> I think, yeah, I think 10 games, yep.
1: Still, still early. <laughs>
4: Tim, do you think maybe uh, this team needs to start being like Shoei Otani and trying to breathe some life into the bats maybe?
1: Yeah, I don't know. It seemed to work for him. I, you, I, I think a lot of times you, you get up with your approach, um, and when things get really analytical, you kind of get in your head. When you talk to hitters, some of the best times that they feel good and confident about their swing is, is when they're not doing too much at all. It's when they, they don't really look at the scouting reports as much as they should. They, they start getting away from the very mechanics of it, and they kind of just go out there and feel. Like Think about Cal Ripken, you know, man of a thousand swings. Uh, and I, by the way, I can't hit at all, so don't pretend like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but the idea is to just kind of go out there and let your just natural ability take over. These guys are here for a reason. They have the ability to play in the big leagues.
5: Yeah, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, and I was saying I think this baseball team – is built perfectly uh, complementary, almost like a football team that has a good defense and runs the ball, and that they've got the pitching staff and they're going to limit the runs uh, uh, generally. They're not going to give up a whole lot of runs. And then this hitting staff, maybe they're not going to put up 10 runs a night, but when it needs timely hitting, you've got solid hitters up and down the order.
1: Well, one thing that I've seen early on already is some situational hitting. It wasn't until about mid-May of last year when you started seeing the team do the, the little things that maybe they weren't doing. And that can lead to wins. We saw the Cardinals in the first game. They were bunting in like the third inning. Uh, last year, they got beat by the Royals and the Braves in a few games just because they were willing to, to bunt or hit a ball to a certain spot. Maybe the Brewers haven't bunted, but they're hitting the ball. They're getting sack flies. They're hitting the ball to like the right side to get a guy in from third. Uh, they're getting clutch, two out-base hit. Andrew McCutcheon is kind of leading that role. I think he has four of his hits or two outs. Base hit uh for RBI. So that's what you need. It's not always, hey, we're all gonna go up there and hit. Look how good we are. It's sometimes it's like, well, the pitcher's on and the defense is playing in the right spots. How do we combat that? You know, how do we uh get around all those obstacles? And I think the Brewers have found a way.
5: Talking with Tim Dillard from Valley Sports, Wisconsin, when you look at the pitching staff, more your expertise. Freddie Peralta, I was at the game on Friday, he struggled a little bit. Now back-to-back outings, his first two, he struggled a little bit. What's going on with Freddie that he struggled so far out the gate?
1: Um, just from eyeballing it, and I haven't talked to anybody you know, about it. And it is early, first two starts, and they did have a shortened spring training, but I feel like his arm is there. I feel like his stuff is there. It's almost like he's using it incorrectly at times, but he is very erratic. Um, I-, I feel like last year he wasn't as athletic in his movements and falling towards first base. I feel like this year he's really doing that more, which can throw a hitter off. But if you're not throwing strikes enough, you're not going to, you know, tease anybody or trick them into swinging. So I think for him, just he is intense and he likes to, you know, attack hitters. But he needs to kind of, I don't know, for me, I would, if I was Chris Hook, the pitch coach, I would just say, hey, you need to relax more. You need to hone your skills a little bit and stop, you know, (laughs) trying to trying to do too much theatrics on the mound. Sometimes you get that way when you feel really good, and you can just tell by the way he goes out there. He feels great.
5: And you mentioned it with the spring training getting shortened. How much of these first couple weeks is almost like an extended spring training where these guys maybe haven't gotten the at-bats or the innings pitched that they usually would, and they're kind of just finding themselves again because they didn't get the spring training time?
1: Sure. I mean, these guys are creatures of habit. Uh, I I look back at my career, and there's just something amazing about showing up the spring training at a certain time, knowing you have this much time to get ready. Uh, you, guys that have contracts, they know they're going you know, to break with the team. You, just, you, you like knowing that, okay, here's the next step, and then all that's kind of been thrown out of the window the last, what, three years? So I think guys are just trying to find that normalcy, and you, also you can't, you can't really mimic game situations. Like You can sit there and take live BPs all you want. And a lot of the pitchers did throw on backfields in spring training. A lot of hitters did go back there and get some swings, but uh, you can't mimic when it, when the lights come on and you start playing uh, in a game. So yeah, I think it's slow. It's There's several teams I think that you know are still kind of kind of trying to get their feet underneath them uh, because of the shortened spring.
5: When you look at Devin Williams, he's another guy that's struggled a little bit, and he struggled to start the year last year. How much of that is just? for whatever reason, guys struggle out of the gate and how much of it is they just don't have the command? Well, what is it that makes them struggle out of the gate sometimes? But, you know, I, I grew up watching the Washington Nationals and I think back to watching Ian Desmond. And every single year you could expect April and May him to be batting, you know, 215. And then by the time it turned to June, he's locked in and he raised that batting average back up. Why is it that some guys just start slow?
1: Yeah, I just... I mean, that's kind of the track record. Hunter Renfro batted 167, I believe, last year in April, and he ended up batting 260 with 30 homers and 30 doubles, and almost 100 RBIs. So you can't really judge, you know, too quickly. But the problem with pitchers is sometimes you don't know the adjustment to make. You go out there on the mound and you just haven't compiled enough pitches, compiled enough innings to go, oh, that's it. At the end of the year, most of these guys have honed their skills. If, if they throw a pitch that's a little bit off, they know the adjustment right away. They don't have to have a mound visit to say, hey, this is the adjustment. They know it right away because they've just built it up so much over the season. I think right here, and particularly Devin Williams' stuff is amazing. I think there's just, whatever it is, he needs an adjustment. He just can't find it in real time on the mound. So that's why you see a lot of the walks because he just can't find that little thing. And you know, sometimes it takes you know a month, Sometimes it only takes a week. Sometimes you can figure it out in a bullpen session.
5: Talking with Tim Dillard, Valley Sports Wisconsin, former Brewers pitcher. Christian Yelich, he's looked good in spots this season already, driving balls off the wall and doing some things that maybe we didn't see a whole lot of last year. You have high hopes that Christian Yelich can get back to maybe not MVP form, but maybe some of what we saw with him with the Marlins and at points throughout his Brewers career this year?
1: Yeah, I think everybody does. I think everybody's seen the signs. They, he looked good in spring training. You know, and a lot of it has to do with how he's being pitched. I think he does get some good pitches to hit and maybe doesn't capitalize like he knows he can. But at the same time, I haven't looked at the numbers today, but I, I think he's on pace for like 162 walks <laughs> this season. Uh, that's just because he's going up there and he's working counts and he's making pitchers pay. So, you know, even though it's not always a double off the wall, this guy really does uh, matter. He's getting on base. He's scoring. Um, he's letting the next guy behind him get up there and be the hero at times, and he's, he's been a thorn in the side for pitchers just because if I can't throw one or two pitches to get you out, and then I start, okay, well, I'm going to try to strike you out, but then I can't. Suddenly, I'm seven, eight pitches deep. He's on first base. Here comes Andrew McCutcheon, and you throw first pitch, and it's a you know, double down the line. So, like, that stuff matters. As a pitcher, it may not be the actual guy that hurt you. It's usually what happens leading up to that moment.
5: Well, and one thing we talked about a little bit earlier today uh, on the Wendy's Pig Show was we were we were saying, who in that Brewers lineup scares you as a pitcher? Do you think the Brewers have one of those guys? And you think Christian Yelich is still one of those guys? Because, he, you know, when he was going good, there wasn't a better hitter in baseball, but he's kind of fallen off a little bit.
1: Well, I, the Cardinals were just here, and Mike Maddox, the pitching coach, he probably brought all the pitchers, and, you know, you go over each hitter, and I guarantee they said, do not make a mistake to Christian Yelich. Like that, you don't just glaze over and just skip over. I think they sit there and go, do not make a mistake to this guy. He's going to make you pay. And But for me, I think, I think Hunter Renfro swings a big bat. I think Andrew McCutcheon is a tough out. I think Tyrone Taylor, um, his big two-run out 2 run double last night was the difference maker in the game. I think he is just grown in leaps and bounds the more he plays. I think it's just a well-balanced office, offense. But the person that scares me the most as a as a pitcher is Rowdy Tellez. That guy sees the ball so well. You have to be on top of your game and make a very good pitch to strike him out. Because if you, even if you throw a good pitch, let's go back to Wainwright. He threw and struck out Rowdy Tellez twice on changeups. His third at bat throws the exact same changeup down and away, and Rowdy gets a base hit off of it. This guy's making adjustments from at bat to at bat and that's scary when you can see that in real time as a pitcher that's that's intimidating
5: well that and he's also a slick fielding first baseman
1: yeah twinkle toes over there he knows what he's doing he's a, he's an everyday player i think i think that's going to be by the end of the year we're going to see some some solid numbers out of him offensively and defensively
5: okay so at the end of the month the brewers are going to go from the 28 man roster that was expanded because of the shortened spring training back to 26 How do you think that's going to affect them with the 13-pitcher rule and stuff? Because David Stearns was talking on the broadcast, and he mentioned, I'm not a huge fan of it. How do you think that's going to affect them
1: going forward this season? Oh, man, that's a tough question. That's a question for a good TV analyst. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why you're asking me. Uh, I don't know. I I don't think it will affect them all that much. I think by that time, guys' innings will be up. I think one of the big things, I saw Josh Hader the other day in the tunnel Um, And he had pitched back-to-back days, and that's a big thing as a pitcher. Like once you once you pitch back-to-back game situations, and then you come in the next day, they always ask you how you feel, and so that's when I was talking to him, and he felt good. So what you're going to see is guys getting back-to-back days, and then how they feel afterwards. If they feel good, then that's where they want to be. So at the end of the month, I think the pitchers, I think they'll be fine. but for MLB to, I, I see what David Stearns is saying, for MLB to regulate who you can have on your team and how many of what is is a bit extreme. I think they're trying to just offset the fact that, okay, you have a DH, you can keep less position players or make the game longer with more pitchers and more substitutions. But uh, I, I don't think that should be a thing. I think they should have whoever they're allowed to have on their team.
5: All right. One last thing, Tim. We saw that you were out at lefts the other night and announced that, uh, Corbin Burns had picked up the tab.
1: Big announcement, wanted to let everyone know that tonight's starting pitcher and Cy Young Award winner, Corbin Burns, picked up the tab for everyone here tonight.
5: How, how awesome was it to be able to do something like that down there at lefts with the Brewers?
1: Well, they tried to get Corbin to do it. I forgot where he was. Oh, yeah, he was pitching in Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, he was throwing a gem. Uh, yeah, they wanted someone to do it. And I was, I was like, I really shied away from it. I was like, no, this is like an important thing. Plus if I stood on the bar and announced that everyone's tab was picked up, nobody would believe me. I'm not that guy. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, they, they said, yeah, we want you to do it. And I, it was a very cool moment. There were people coming up going, how can we thank Corbin? So we, uh, I, I started passing around cards, but, uh, for people to, to write thank you notes too. So I delivered that to Corbin and, uh, it was just a really cool moment. Hopefully this is going to be something that just sparks every team around the league and definitely in this clubhouse to, to where we can see a lot of these moments because it was really cool. It was a fun time.
5: Well, one more for you. We, they were talking about this the other night on our postgame show here on The Fan. How special is opening day in Milwaukee? And it looked like an incredible environment down there at American Family Field. How was it last Thursday to be there at the home opener between the Cardinals and the Brewers?
1: Forty-two thousand people. I mean, after the last few years, they have a capacity crowd here, everyone's tailgating. Uh, it was it was pretty awesome to watch. They asked Craig Council about Opening Day and his presser, and he said he said it's a it's a, a holiday, and I think that's how people treat it. And even Craig Cashon, my partner in crime, he was like, "Oh yeah, if you you skip school for the Brewers home opener. That's just the way it is." And I. I'm I'm hoping that eventually maybe the legislation will step in and go, "Hey, every Brewers opening day of the season, uh yeah, let's just cancel school across the board. Let the kids come out and watch."
4: I would make a professional motion that every April 14th at very minimum there has to be a home game.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. It was it was good. It was from top to bottom. I mean, everybody coming out wearing their Brewers gear. It was it was an exciting moment and the players could definitely feel it.
5: Well, I appreciate the time, Tim, and uh Enjoy covering the Brewers throughout, and we'll chat again soon.
1: Yeah, awesome. Thank you.
5: There you heard from Tim Dillard from Valley Sports, Wisconsin, former Brewers pitcher on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. If applying for a home renovation loan has you feeling anxious, breathe and let Great Midwest Bank help you experience the state of tranquility. Get started at greatmidwestbank.com today. I didn't mention this to him, Adam, but he's one of my favorite people. If you send a text message, you know, you, you try and book guests or whatever, just a little bit of behind-the-scenes they send a text message to take and you come on at so such and such time. Tim Dillard will send me GIFs of himself.
4: What did you call them?
5: GIFs. They're gifs. That's how they're said. It's GIFs, not gifs. Right. It's GIFs. Either way, we're not gonna argue about that. How cool is it that he just sends GIFs of himself?
4: <laughs> you know you've reached a certain point of posterity when you can send whatever you call them. Of yourself in group chats or text messages.
5: Yeah, it is pretty cool. Want to remind you that baseball has started, the basketball playoffs are getting underway, and the place to catch all the action while playing your own indoor games is Q Club of Wisconsin with plenty of TVs to watch the games while you play your favorite indoor games in their huge entertainment game room and settle down to awesome food from loaded burgers, wraps, wings, plus their Wednesday and Friday fish fries piled up. With all the extras, visit their Facebook page or QClubOfWI.com for menu and weekend live entertainment updates. Q Club of Wisconsin, North Grandview Boulevard in Waukesha.
6: Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic. And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah.
7: I don't know what the hell is going on. Probably a week off, but look, it, it just wasn't me. You know, all of us. You know, we just gotta get that feel feel. You know, um, it's fine. Every shot I took, you know, um, felt good. Uh, I guarantee it. Me, Zach, or Vooch ain't going to miss that many shots again. You know, we just got to keep what we did defensively up and try to take that to another level.
5: You heard from DeMar DeRozan following the Bucks win over the Chicago Bulls yesterday to take a 1-0 series lead in their first-round matchup against the Chicago Bulls. Those guys struggled. Those guys really did struggle. You look at what DeMar DeRozan did. He was not great. Not great. He struggled from the field, shot six of 25. Zach Levine, six of 19. They both scored 18 points, but not great night shooting. Vucevic, a little bit better, nine of 27. He scored 24 points, but the Bulls as a whole shot 32.3% from the field. I don't know that I see them doing that, but I also, again, but I also don't see the Bucks shooting only 40% from the field. So I wouldn't necessarily worry about that because, yeah, go ahead, DeRozan. You can score more points. You scored 86. Even if you have a better night, you score 100. Milwaukee's not scoring 93 points again. What They're is it? More than that.
4: What is it about these two teams meeting up this year and putting up scores that maybe we would see in like 1987? Like, what is going on? I mean, I know what's going on. You watch the game. I listen to the game. We both know what happened. But what is it with these two? Because I think on the radio broadcast, they were trying to call it, you know, a a defensive, like, battle. And they're like, well, you can't even call it that because the defenses were struggling kind of, too.
5: Well, the beginning of the fourth quarter was terrible. Coach Bud credits the defense, though.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, credits to to Chicago. Uh, I mean, I think their defense was very good. Um, both teams were, you know, really, um, getting after it defensively and, um, we just got to be sharper, execute better. Um, and we had some that were just kind of, you know, a um, little bit wild in transition, maybe pressing a little bit much. Um, so, um, you know, we'll look at the film, maybe give Chris better spacing, better execution, better screens. Um, but, you know, I think he'll be, you know, he'll be ready to bounce back.
4: Better, 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 better.
5: That's a classic Coach Bud right there. Got to be better, going to set better screens, better. I can't do the voice like Bart can, but that's a classic Coach Bud right there. Lots of betters, lots of betters. But I I think Milwaukee is going to play better than they did in game one. I'm sure Chicago will as well, but... I don't think there's anything left to worry about in this series.
4: I know they're not a sponsor on the station, but Coach Bud should uh, reach out to Culver's. They used to have that thing. They don't do it anymore, but in their ads, they used to say, a better brand of beef makes a Butter Burger better better, 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 better. better, A better burger, better, better burger.
5: That's way too much better. All right, we talked with Ryan McDonough a little bit earlier in the Wendy's Big Show uh, about these same sort of things that we were talking about get some of the Insight into what's going on around the NBA and the playoffs so far. Let's hear his conversation. Ryan, do you think this series is, I mean, Milwaukee's still going to win this pretty easily, right?
2: I think so. Yeah, I predicted a Milwaukee sweep before the series. I'm going to stick with that. I think it's a testament to Milwaukee's talent and their ability to overcome adversity and, and not playing their best game, clearly scoring 93 points yesterday, especially after the great start. They had 34 points in the first, and then uh, 17 to 23 points over the last three quarters is not very bucks like with the explosiveness of their offense. Uh, now, all that said, they still won by seven, so I, I just don't see an advantage for the Chicago Bulls. I think Milwaukee can have an off night and still beat Chicago, and uh, you know now it's going to get tougher starting next round. But uh, I think this is a relatively easy and relatively short series for the Milwaukee Bucks.
7: But also, though, Ryan, this is Gary Ellison here. I was surprised, though, really, though, how well that the, the the Bulls played. Like they just didn't go away after the Bucks got up by 15 or 16 there, and and to me. I still think the Bucks are the better team, but the Bulls, they don't have a player like Giannis. The Rosen's playing very well, but they don't have a player like Giannis. But I still think they play collectively very well against the Milwaukee Bucks.
2: Yeah, I agree with that, Gary. Uh, Milwaukee got off to a great start. It looks like the game was going to be over right out of the jump. I think it was 9-0 after Giannis hit that walk-up three and Billy Donovan called timeout. So uh, the Bulls hung in there. I mean, they, they did all they could. Uh, keep in mind, as, as you guys know, I'm mean, Milwaukee and Chicago play frequently in the same conference in the same division, so you guys are obviously very familiar with the Bulls. Th- this is not the same Bulls team we saw early in the year uh, with Lonzo Ball and a healthy Alex Caruso. Uh, Caruso is obviously back in the lineup, but he does not look at full strength to me and ball. Is out for the year, uh, and I, I think that's really impacted Chicago, especially on the defensive end. And, and as the three of you guys know, when you get in the playoffs in the NBA, it usually comes down to high-end talent. Uh, the Bulls have, you know, a few players I describe as good or, or very good. Uh, certainly Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, who's had a fantastic year, and Nikola Vucevic, uh, you know, fit that mold. But Milwaukee has the guy. And as a Bucks fan, I'd be very encouraged. Uh, Giannis obviously was in some foul trouble yesterday, but uh, the fact that he had 27 points and 16 rebounds in just 34 minutes. I think to me, more importantly, guys, the fact that the Bucks were plus 19 when Giannis was on the court, uh, that, that bodes well. If and when the series goes on, he stays out of foul trouble, he'll be able to play more minutes, and Chicago just doesn't have an answer for him.
7: Let's go out to Boston real quick, and I think a lot of things were made about the Nets all season long with Kyrie not playing, then they decide to let the rules there in New York, lift him up and so he can be able to play. And a lot of teams saying that they may have thought that the Nets were probably the probably toughest out there. Your thoughts on Boston and Brooklyn uh, over the weekend?
2: I think Boston's going to win the series. Obviously, it was a fantastic game yesterday. I feel like um, you know Kyrie Irving in particular was was magnificent. Obviously, it was right. somewhat controversial in the way he did it with the, uh, the the single bird or the double bird, and you know going at the fans in Boston. So I imagine he'll be fined. It'll be interesting to see what the fine amount is that the NBA will announce. I uh, imagine today or tomorrow. Uh, but but he was sublime in terms of scoring. You know, 39 points. Six assists, four steals. He did everything he could. Uh, the issue I have with Brooklyn guys is, is just their depth beyond their two stars. Uh, and keep in mind, the guy that they thought would be their third best player uh, in Ben Simmons has not played a game. And I know the reports are that he may play soon, that he's looking better and better. Personally, I have my doubts. I, I, I don't think dropping Ben Simmons in this situation after missing basically an entire calendar year, including uh, training camp, preseason, all of the regular season, the play-in games, and now at least the first playoff game. I, I don't, don't think that's something that Brooklyn's going to do. I, I may be in the minority there, but uh, I think Boston wins a series. This is going to be long. It's going to be hard fought. Uh, Kyrie played just about as well as he or anyone can play but i think kevin durant can play better but uh, i think when i go down the benches uh, the low-end starters and then the reserves who come off the bench i think boston has a slight advantage and uh, if they win game two i think they'll be in the driver's seat up 2-0 heading back to brooklyn
7: right you've been in this league for a long time so get your thoughts though on this kyrie situation with the fans i mean th- sometimes there's some vulgar things being said and it, and it felt like that was with Kyrie there in Boston and he reacted maybe not how you should have but how do you how do you when you know when you have a player like Kyrie and you know you're going to volatile situations are you telling the players just be quiet and just accept it and take it and let let security figure it out I, I think for me I, I think at some point there's only so much a player can take if it gets out of order
2: yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, certainly, it's something that Boston security will be on alert about and, and, and um, you know watching out for. Uh, at the same time, guys, as you know, in NBA games, the fans are closer to the action than in any other sport. Especially the the folks courtside and in the first couple rows, are basically right on the floor. Uh, so there's only so much you know you can do as an organization. Uh, now, if if I were in the Brooklyn Nets front office, uh, yeah, I'd be meeting with Kyrie today, uh, you know, letting him know that we understand why he's so upset and frustrated. Uh, but at the same time, as, as you guys know, I, you know, a couple of you played game, the game at played football at a high level. Um, you you can't react to it. That's what the fans want. Um, so I I just you know I think for Kyrie's Um, approach, if I were in the Nets front office, I'd advise him to be consistent. Uh, On the one hand, he said last week that, uh, you know, he hopes fans remember his Boston era positively and he wants to move on. Uh, You know, uh, on the other hand, it seems like he was, um, I don't say, you know, inciting the crowd, but he was certainly responsive to the crowd, which is, you know, hecklers, that's what they want. They want engagement. Uh, I think if you just ignore it, it it does go away. So uh, I'll be very interested to see how the league responds. I think they have to fine him a significant amount. Uh, I I certainly expect the Brooklyn Nets to support Kyrie, and then uh, I I know because I worked for the franchise for 10 years and I'm from the area. There'll be a charged environment at the TD garden in Boston for game two.
5: Toby Altizer in for Steve Sparky Pfeiffer today on the Wendy's big show with Gary Ellerson talking with former Suns GM and Odyssey Sports NBA insider Ryan McDonough. Ryan, is there a team in the Eastern Conference that you look at that's going to give the Bucks problems if they have to face them on their road to try and go back to back?
2: I think it is the Boston Celtics. I, I, I think whoever wins that series, and that'll be, as you guys know, next round uh, with Boston as the two-seed if they get by Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, I think we all expect uh, the Bucks to handily defeat the Chicago Bulls. I think that 2-3 matchup for me, I know it's just the conference semifinal, but I think the winner of that will advance to the NBA finals and play uh, the Phoenix Suns for the championship, which if it is the Milwaukee Bucks, obviously that'll be a rematch of a year ago. Uh, I think they're the two best teams. I you know I, I know Miami handled Atlanta in Game One. Uh, Philly looked excellent in their series, uh, and Toronto is really breaking down with a number of injuries. But uh, I think those are the two best teams. Uh, you know Milwaukee has been consistent and, and maybe overall the best for the last couple of years now, including the championship. Last year, but I think the way the Celtics have played uh, since the calendar flipped to the new year, especially in a defensive end, they've been as good as any team in the league. And one thing to keep an eye on, guys, that I don't know how much attention it's getting nationally, but um, from what I'm hearing, Robert Williams may play at some point this playoffs. You know, obviously, if, if there are long series with the game spread out as they tend to be in the first round, that gives Williams and the Celtics more time. Uh, so he's a difference maker for Boston, especially on the defensive end. I think the Celtics will need him if it is Giannis and the Bucks next round, which I anticipate. But uh, keep an eye on Williams you know, potentially re- returning at some point in this playoffs, uh, maybe even in the conference semifinals against Milwaukee.
7: Let's look out west a little bit, Ryan. I think you look at uh, the Phoenix series against New Orleans. I mean, I-, I think Phoenix came out and showed you why they're the best team in the west.
2: I, I think that's right. I think they are the best team in the West, uh, Chris Paul did his thing down the stretch. He was All dominant nice. last night, really controlled the game in every which way. Uh, I think one of the things, guys, that was you know, relatively predictable in hindsight was the two eighth seeds, the Atlanta Hawks, uh, getting beat r- rather easily by the Miami Heat, and then the New Orleans Pelicans losing to Phoenix in game one. Think of what those teams have had to do over the past week, winning two play-in games, uh, you know, going on the road to multiple cities. Um, so I-, I think New Orleans will play a bit better going forward, but um, Phoenix has been historically good down the stretch of close games this year. A lot of that is Chris Paul. Some of it is Devin Booker. Uh, they also have depth, so you-, you can't just load up on those two guys because uh, Mikel Bridges, DeAndre Ayton, and others can beat you as well. But... So I, I predicted Phoenix and five to start the series. I, I think New Orleans steals a game at some point, but uh, I think the Suns have better high-end talent than the Pelicans. I think they have better depth than the Pelicans. And really, guys, the only team that I could see in the Western Conference potentially beating the Phoenix Suns is the Golden State Warriors. Now, Golden State's the three seed, so that matchup would not happen till the Western Conference Finals. But watching Golden State uh, the other night, especially with Steph back in the lineup and Clay looking more comfortable, I think the Warriors-Suns Conference Finals in the West would be a heck of a series.
5: One team that's intriguing out West is the Dallas Mavericks. And I thought that they had maybe a chance to compete with a couple of these teams, but with Luca being out game one and maybe game two, do you even think they're going to be able to get out of this series against the jazz?
2: No, because I, I, I think, you know, look, he's looking uh, doubtful for game two. It looks like he's not going to play uh, game two tonight, which if that's the case and they lose again, they're down Oh two going back to Salt Lake city, The Jazz have a tremendous home court advantage. Dallas has not won in Utah in, in a long time, even with Luca in the lineup. So um, now, you know, if you, if you look at it that way, and then they go back to Salt Lake, even if they steal a game in Salt Lake, they're still uh, down three, one, you know, with, with Utah having three chances to close it out in a much healthier team. Um, so keep in mind guys, in addition to Luca, Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, was, was a key player for the Mavs, you know, over the past year, really the past couple of years, he is out with left foot surgery. He's not playing in this series. Um, so I, I think I agree with you. I, I think if, if, both teams were fully healthy, uh, as great as Luca was playing. And then with the additions of Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans, which was a fantastic trade deadline deal for the Mavs, I think they would have been the favorite and probably won the series. But uh, without Luca, especially with Game 2 coming up quickly tonight, I don't think Dallas has enough. And I, I think uh, if Utah has a chance to really gain a stranglehold in this series if they win tonight and go back home up 2-0.
7: Right, was it a shocker for you, the, the Minnesota-Memphis game? I mean, I, I, I thought I, when I looked at that game, I just didn't think that Minnesota would dominate the way that they did.
2: Yeah, I was a little bit surprised by that. And, and I think, you know, one of the dilemmas in, in front offices, obviously you don't really control it that much, but is rest uh, versus, um, you know, rhythm. And, and you guys know that, again, mm-hmm. haven't played sports at a high level, rest versus rhythm. Well, uh, the Grizzlies were the rested team. Um, you know, they, they had some time off. The, uh, the Memphis Grizzlies had to play, uh, excuse me, the Minnesota Timberwolves had to play their way in uh, through the play-in, uh, and they just looked sharper and, and more fresh. Um, one of the things that I think people on a national stage are now realizing is how talented Anthony Edwards is. I mean, that guy is an absolute tank. Uh, when you look at his body at 21 years old, he's got broad shoulders. He's built like an NFL running back to me, just with the power when he gets downhill. He's also very skilled, though. So, he, so he's an explosive scorer. And once he gets going, um, you know, he can score at all three levels: at the basket, from the mid-range, and then from three. Once he gets rolling, guys, he's really difficult to stop. So, uh, I think this is going to be one of the better uh, hard. Fought series. We, we talked about the ease that we think the Bucks are going to have beating the Bulls. I think Minnesota-Memphis in the West and Boston-Brooklyn in the East, those are the two series I'm most excited about. Uh, I think all, all of those teams are relatively evenly matched, and I'm anticipating a long series. I think Memphis will win game two and probably win the series, but Minnesota showed the other night it's not going to be easy especially with the shot-making ability of Anthony Edwards, as well as D'Angelo Russell, who didn't have a great game, but we saw what he can do in the play-in, and uh, I think he'll play better the rest of the way as well. Talking
5: with Odyssey Sports NBA insider Ryan McDonough, last question for you here, Ryan. Are we just on a collision course for Suns-Bucks again in the NBA Finals? or What's your prediction there?
2: I wouldn't sleep on the Boston Celtics. I, I, I think um, I, you know I, I'd lean slightly toward Boston if – over over Milwaukee, if Robert Williams is healthy, I know that's not what your listeners in Wisconsin want to hear, but uh, <laughs> I've really been impressed with how the Celtics have turned their season. And to me, guys, that's a, that's a coin flip, fifty-one uh, forty-nine, you know, series, one uh, in, in seven games, probably at the end of Game Seven. I think whoever wins that series will play the Suns. Uh, you know, I, I pick Phoenix to win the championship. I'm going to stick with them, but yeah, I, I think. Um, uh, well, I, I think the advantage you know, Milwaukee has is their path to the next round will be a lot easier. Uh, what what um, Bucks fans should hope for is a 4-0 sweep of Chicago. They can get healthy and rested, uh, do some fine-tuning. Uh, the Celtics and Nets beat each other up for seven games, and then Milwaukee has an advantage, especially early in the next series. So, uh, again, I think the winner of the uh, next series between Milwaukee and the Celtics win the championship, uh, it could, certainly could be Milwaukee. I'm going to lean toward Boston, but either way, I'm going to have my popcorn ready watching every minute of every game.
5: So you heard from odyssey sports nba insider ryan mcdonough earlier on the wendy's big show we'll wrap up sparky's midday madness alongside rami makloff here next on 12 50 a.m the fan it is sparky's midday madness on 12 50 a.m the fan toby altizer in for sparky today rami makloff joins the show what's going on rami how's it going toby not too bad. Not you're too all, bad. Uh,
3: you're all USA'd up today.
5: I am USA'd up today. Rocking a Drew Holiday Team USA is that jersey. What that is,
3: I was wondering. Yeah,
5: Drew Holiday. You're a big so, jersey guy. I am a big jersey guy. See, see, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to buy a Bucks one. Yeah. But they don't just like sell a Bucks Drew Holiday jersey. You got to get it customized.
3: What? You know, I was with. What is going on in Milwaukee? I was at my. I was with my buddy at the Brewers game on Friday, and we went into the team shop. He wanted yeah, a. He wanted a Brandon Woodruff jersey. Not going to find one. I was like, well, surely they'll have the Cy Young Award winner's jersey in the team shop at the stadium they play in, and no, they don't. And now you can't get a Drew Holiday jersey You can other than custom made? You
5: can find them some places, but I already got the green one, right? So I wanted, like, the white one or even, like, a black one. Nope. That's Not going to find it. So I was like, well, I'll just go with Team USA. Nothing wrong with that. Why did they
3: that. make this so hard? I
5: don't know. And you're right about the like Brewers. They're like best players. The Brewers won. All they sell is
3: Christian Yelich. Dude, he wasn't looking for Jace Peterson, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted an Andrew McCutcheon one. I wouldn't mind Andrew McCutcheon. Well, Okay, but I even understand that. Yeah. Like, but the dude won a Cy Young. but The dude just won a Cy Young last year. He's the reigning NL Cy Young Award winner, and you can't buy his jersey in the stadium? It doesn't make any
5: sense. I really don't understand it. All you can find is T-shirts. Woody, Peralta, any of these guys. That's crazy. Not even Josh Hader, I don't
3: think. That's crazy.
5: That's make, crazy. It doesn't make any sense to That's me. That's ridiculous. I don't know if you saw this or not yet, Rami. You're probably excited about it. Mm-hmm. June 1st. Mm-hmm. At the win Las Vegas. Yes. Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers versus Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes in the, in the match, golf. Oh,
3: really? Yeah. Really? I did not know that. I did not hear about that.
5: So, uh, Gary wanted me to ask you, mm-hmm. these are the four best quarterbacks, right? Say them again?
3: Well, Aaron no, because Rogers... Josh Allen is in there, so no. <laughs> that,
5: that's what he wanted. <laughs> okay. To... Yeah. Aaron Rodgers, Tom
3: Brady, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. You know, I hope Gary is listening right now, because <laughs> for for a guy... <laughs> who every time I bring up numbers, he's like, oh, it's more than numbers, dog. Yeah, look, numbers guy over here. This is what they all say to me <laughs> on the big show. Oh, numbers guy. Every time I bring up, oh, numbers guy. Here goes numbers guy. Now this dude is constantly texting me numbers about Josh Allen. <laughs> constantly. Gary's numbers guy all of a sudden.
5: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not going to get into this discussion because I know we're going to disagree. I do need
3: to, uh, I said this to Sam the other day on my show. I need to update my QB rankings. I haven't done it since... The return of Tom Brady okay. and the return of Deshaun Watson. Oh yeah. So Josh Allen probably going down two bu- two <laughs> spots.
5: Where is he right now? I had him was at, he?
3: I had him at ten. Oh at he was ten? Right at so ten. He finally made he it. Cracked the top ten. Oh my gosh. Cracked the top ten. But now he's probably uh, like
5: twelve. How are your standings in draft mockery going? You get you getting some wins That's, or we don't
3: need to talk about that. <laughs> we don't need to talk about that at all. Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. No, I don't want to talk about that. Not even a little bit. What's
5: coming up on today's Rami on show? On the show
3: today, obviously, we'll be uh, reacting to yesterday's Bucks playoff win over the Bulls. Want to know? Do you do you think this series is? Do you think the series is going to be ta- harder than maybe we thought after watching Game One, Toby?
5: I don't think so. I don't think so either. I but, mean, the the Bucks shot forty percent from the field.
3: Yeah, so much of it is unsustainable. So we'll talk about that and just, just some general reaction to the game. I know some people upset, including Giannis himself by uh, being pulled at yeah, the end of the game there yeah. in foul trouble. So we'll discuss that decision, look around the rest of the NBA. Four o'clock, we'll look at this Brewers offense and just check the concern level for this Brewers offense. I know they scored six runs yesterday, but, man, were there some troubling signs before. That. And even in that game yesterday, not a lot of what has been ailing this Brewers offense was 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 remedied yesterday, despite scoring six runs. So we'll talk about that. Tim Allen is here at 430. And uh, much, much more on the show. This Real quick, yes.
5: I-, I talked about this a little bit with Gary because we talked about the Brewers offense as well. Mm-hmm. This Brewers team reminds me of a football team that's built on defense, okay, pitching, and then running the football. So, timely hitting. Mm-hmm. They don't have the elite run producers, right? Mm-hmm. They're not going to score 10 runs a game. And I. I wanted to save this for today, but I knew we wouldn't really talk about it a whole lot. So I called into the post-game show after the game on Friday because I <laughs> needed to talk about it. Because <laughs> I was at the game. I was like, I need to talk about this. It was 6 nothing. You were at the
3: game Friday. I was at the game Friday. Really? should have grabbed a beer.
5: It, it was 6 nothing after the second inning. I was
3: like, I could leave. When did you leave?
5: Uh, I stayed the whole thing. Oh,
3: did you? We left after the eighth.
5: Yeah, I, I always stay for the whole thing. I just go find different seats somewhere.
3: There was beer but to be drank.
5: I was like, this team, for their hitting to be effective... They have to be in close baseball games. They're not coming back from three and four runs. I watched the Blue Jays the other day. They're down three. Bop, bop, tie game.
3: But you know, that's what I thought last year, and then Vogelbach happened. I left the Vogelbach game, the walk-off Grand Slam.
5: (laughs) But I just don't see a whole lot of those happening. I I just see them maybe once in a while they catch lightning in a bottle with that sort of thing, but they need to be in close games. So they need those, you know, kind of like I said, grinded out kind of games.
3: This isn't sustainable. No winning games doing what they're doing now is not sustainable. Do
5: you think they're going to I mean, you're you're still fine with them winning the central and stuff. But do you think they're a legit
3: World Series team? Not if they're not if they don't figure some of this stuff out. And Some of this stuff goes back a while, man. I'm going to I'll talk about it. Some of this stuff goes back. It's not just the first six games of the season or whatever, wherever we're at now. Yeah. But it's this this goes back a little bit. The, the issues with this Brewers offense. And yeah, I've said before the the worst version of. Of a hel- relatively healthy Brewers team is going to win the NL Central, yeah. so that's not what I'm talking about here. But the offense, it's, it's a it's it's a problem right now, man. And there's you if you dig not even too deep, I'm not I'm not even like talking analytics. All right, when, what I'm going to bring up in the in the four o'clock hour, this is like simple surface stuff when it comes to the Brewers' offense that they're just not doing. And they they have to they have to be better at it. They're not going to be great. But they have to be better at it than what they've been.
5: Well, there you heard it. You can hear Numbers Guy break down all the Brewers and Bucks oh, problems. That's Gary. And every- Gary's
3: Numbers Guy now. <laughs> Gary's the new Numbers Guy.
5: You can hear Rami Makhlouf coming up next on The Rami Show on 1250 AM. The Fan.
6: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.